What does it take to win? What does it take to be a winner? My name is Wesley Donahue. I'm here to answer those questions by talking to a bunch of winners. And today we're starting a series where we're talking to some of the vice presidents here at Push Digital Group. We are a little different than some of our competitors because we make it a point to hire senior level strategists who have been doing politics for a long time. And today we start with Ryan Waite, who is a vice president at the company and holds it down for us over on the West Coast. This is a real interesting conversation about some screw-ups he's made in his career. And, you know, we like to say smart people learn from other people's mistakes. So listen up. All right, Ryan, I've kept you waiting for 15 (laughs) minutes. How's it going, man? Good. How are you doing? Doing well, man. Finally got a little bit of a break for the fourth. How was yours? Uh, It was good. We we just hung around here, did some... Hamburgers, a little bit of pool time. It was fun. You got four four kids, right? Four kids, yeah. Were they all there for the fourth? No, our daughter, our oldest daughter, she's in Brazil. She's serving a mission for our church. So she was down there. And then yeah, the boys just it's I have a 17 or sorry, 18 year old son, and then two 14 year old twin boys. So we all just hung out and had fun. Nice. I just uh yeah, the problem with holidays and vacations is when you have kids you don't really get a break you remember when yours were little at at four six and eight i'm actually i I get more rest at work than i do when i'm at home i know i saw i saw your post yesterday and i was like man that would be nice to go to an office and not have anybody bug me i came in so my wife was like don't you have tomorrow off i'm like nope nope no actually i got to go into the office (laughs) so (laughs) i I sat up here for about four hours by myself uh just in silence just finally getting some work done man but you got to do that sometimes because in politics it's it's 24 7 it it just never ends and if you don't block off that mental bandwidth you'll just go crazy and lead a very unorganized life i mean sometimes you just got to pull back just to get shit organized just to pull out the planner in the notebook Absolutely. Just to reset. It's definitely worthwhile. And it's good. I mean, for me, creatively, it's helpful, right? To be able to take a step back and kind of let your brain sort of get rid of all the junk and kind of fill it with some new stuff. So yeah, definitely helpful. Well, especially after the last six months. So we hadn't talked about it a lot. We're going to dive in a little bit before we get into you personally, but we merged these teams together. How do you think it's gone? You know what? It is. um, It's definitely, (laughs) as you can attest to probably more than I can, but a little bit, a little bit rocky. Um, but overall, I think it's been great. I mean, anyone who I talk to, I'm like, this was, this was a natural, um, step, <clears throat> excuse me, um, that probably needed to take place. I don't know as much on the push side, but on our side, I mean, we'd been doing kind of the same thing for quite some time, yeah. uh, albeit successfully, but we, we, I mean, in order to get bigger or to grow we had to do something and you guys were push was the perfect partner right because we had worked with you guys in several cases uh, very yeah. successfully and so it was yeah no it was it's it's been great and i've enjoyed it personally because obviously push is a great team it's been good to get to know all of them um all of you guys and it's been i mean it's kind of opened up you know, different options, different opportunities. I mean, to work on stuff that I wouldn't necessarily have worked on. So it's been great. Yeah. Now, Rocky is a good way uh, to explain it. <laughs> I, I, what happens in these situations is you don't know what you don't know. 
Right. And you can yeah. read all these books about mergers and because the acquisition was one thing, right? And then you get into the merging right. process. You read all these books about policies and procedures. What they fail to really talk about is the human element. So yeah. and when everybody asks me how it's going, I said, look, what i the biggest lesson I learned is you're not merging together two companies, you're merging together 80, 90 human beings each no. with their own desires and interests. And some of those personal interests might con- conflict with someone on the other team or with the new company. And it, it's it's a, it's a very delicate balance that we've had to strike. And, and I've learned so much as an entrepreneur over uh, really a year and a half now. So we started the merger a year before it happened. Right. Really, that so it's been a year and a half going through the merger and acquisition process, and man, I feel like I've got my MBA. <laughs> I bet you have. That it's it's. I'm sure it's an interesting. It's been interesting from my perspective. I'm sure it's even more interesting from your perspective, just because of. You're right. It is not, and it's interesting to me how different two seemingly different, seemingly similar teams were. Right. Yeah. Like structurally. Just from, Structurally, right. And then to have that come together, I think there is definitely a bit of heartburn on some of the folks on our side to that change. You know, once you kind of explain like this is the way we got to do it and and it's better, right? This is a better situation. I think everyone sort of realizes that. But it was definitely, I mean, as with any change, like right, people get kind of like, Well, what does this mean? And they start yeah. to get anxious. But it was that's no, what's been difficult is like managing every the anxiety that's it because when that you're right because when that happens the first the first question is what does this mean for me right and you have to answer that question 80 times and that (laughs) that was the part that i guess i was so hyper focused on the structure and the policies and the procedure and building a scalable entity and then also the financial side of it that i i don't want to say i ignored it but i very, very, very much underestimated that impact. And that will be my biggest advice whenever I talk to someone who goes through this is that needs to actually be number one and not like number 10. Yeah, that's interesting. Because I mean, it is, I mean, it's it's perfectly natural to focus, I mean, especially on the financial side, right? Like you got to get all those ducks in a row. And so, yeah, I mean, but overall, it's been great. Like I've enjoyed it. I think everyone who um, who I've talked to is see sees the future and that's very bright. So we're excited. Yeah, I'm excited. Well, you are our main guy on the West Coast, kind of leading that operation as our VP out there. And um, but what I don't know is how you how you got into this game. Like how did how did you get into politics? How did this all start for you? So um, I worked for, I interned for Congressman Chris Cannon uh, when I was going to school. I went to Brigham Young University. I was going to school. I needed an internship to graduate in poli-sci. And so I took a, um, I just worked in Chris Cannon's um, district office. He was Utah 3, I think, at the time, which was a while ago. Um, And that was kind of my first intro into like, oh, the stuff that I'm studying is actually happening in real life in other places. Right. And so I got kind of the bug there. Um, and then I was looking, I don't know if this is a common occurrence. I would imagine it is, but you graduate the poli sci degree. You don't really have many options for work. 
right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right out of school. And so obviously one of the kind of default um, uh, options is law school. So I started looking at law schools for no mm. reason whatsoever. Like I didn't want to practice law, but that's what I started doing. And then I found at uh, George Washington University, they had a program for political management and master's in political management, which really was what I wanted to do anyway. And so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do that. So um, we moved, my wife and I, we had our young daughter at the time, moved out to D.C., went to school there, started um, doing some work with a data firm. Didn't really like that. And so I um, wanted to get more into kind of the meat of campaigns. And so a friend of mine worked for Becky Donatelli at the time and they were hiring. And so I went and met with Becky uh, and Mike Connell, who um, has since passed away, but he um, met with them and got hired and started doing this. Right. So that was 18 years ago. And it was kind of interesting at the time. It was the first I was hired to kind of start doing the advertising side of things, which they hadn't really gotten into because Mike's firm was a web development firm. Becky's firm was fundraising. Mm -hmm. And so they were starting to do ads. And so that was a very steep learning curve for me because I had no, I I didn't know anything about digital advertising. And so that was, um, so it was all new, which was great. It's always fun to learn new things. And so you're kind of flying by the seat of your pants. And it was obviously a very different world back then when you would go to, like individual publishers and, you know, get IOs and all that junk (laughs) that took place back then. Um, But yeah, so that was, that's kind of how I got into it. And it's just been, yeah, it's just been roller coaster ever since. 18 years you've been with this company. Are you the long, I know. Is it you or Tim? One of y'all have to be the longest. So it's Carter. Carter's the longest. She's a year ahead of me. And then it's me. And then Tim and Eric are right after me. That's insane. Yeah, it's nuts. It's it's really and I kind of whenever I talk to anybody about it, I'm like, is that weird that I've been here for 18 years? But I mean, it's I've enjoyed it. There hasn't been any time where I've been like, I got to get out of here. Like, it's, it's not, always kind of. As I say, it's not weird that you're with the same company for 18 years. It's just weird that you're in politics for that long because <laughs> it just burns everybody out and it's it getting does. worse. It does. It is getting worse. I think it's, I think really, honestly, if I look back, the benefit was I would always go through the same process every cycle. And it would be, I would get to like August, September. And I would tell my wife, if I say, I'm going to come back and do this, tell me that I I don't want to do this (laughs) because it just gets so intense. And then you hit November, the election happens and it gets quiet. And you're like, yeah, that wasn't that bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh man, except this time we didn't get any kind of a break after the election because we had the runoff with Herschel, then we immediately had the acquisition and merger. I, I mean, I've yeah. been going nonstop with no vacation for almost two years now, so I didn't yeah. get that lull that made me remember why I loved politics. <laughs> right. <laughs> so- yeah. No, and you need that, but yeah, it's been well. And to your point earlier, right? Like it's getting more and more that way. I mean, I am shocked at the amount of people were working on already right just right out the gate so it's just it's, it's rolling i mean this time of the year we're typically sitting on our ass and i just right. i was just looking at the amount of money raised just yesterday by our presidential candidate and a couple of the u.s senate races I was like i can't believe that much work was going on over fourth of july i mean we took the day off but even yesterday when we were closed oh, yeah. emails and texts were scheduled and going out and it just it just never ever stops no 
It doesn't stop. And, and I mean, obviously helpful for us, but I wonder how that's going to affect to your point burnout, right? Like when there is no break, what happens? So, well, I, I think about that all the time when we talk about the scalability and sustainability of the company is how do you, you know, because the campaigns, the demand's not going to let up. Yeah. How do you give your staff those needed breaks when the cycle never seems to end? Because it used to be that we could just run our staff into the ground during election years and then we make up for it on the back end, right? So December, yeah. January, February, you know, they'll probably, yeah. they basically have six months where they can, you know, not completely screw off but work right a lot lighter take vacations when they want maybe work 20 yeah. 30 hour weeks and that's why push has no vacation policy because we're like look they're not going to take a vacation in the election year yeah. so on the non-election yeah. years let's just let them screw off whenever they want to make up for the time they were because you know they're working nights they're working weekends and they get no vacations some of them are working holidays how do you make up for that on the back end but when it never stops it's going to make making it up on the back end very difficult yeah. It's almost like what I was telling Phil, like, you know, five years from now, we're going to need like the day shift and the night shift. <laughs> that's we how need that. It's, we're going to have to run it like a man, like an iron manufacturer or something, you know, like an iron plant. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, and it's, I think it is definitely helpful having kind of the two coasts, right? Like covered, which is like gives us a little bit of that. But yeah, I don't know. Like going into the future, it's, it, I don't know if the day shift, night shift thing actually works, but like, that, yeah, you're going to have to well, do something, right? But it works well for us because I'm a day guy and Phil is a night owl, you know. Oh, really? Up, he's up raving and DJing all night. So it makes <laughs> sense for him to manage the company. It's like we're like Got two it. ships passing in the night. He used to go to, now, you know, had the heart attacks. That's changed. But he used to be going to bed right. when I was waking up in the morning. Oh, really? Yeah, he'd be going to bed at like 4 a.m. And I wake up at 4 a.m. every morning. So we oh, always man. had it always. <laughs> the clock was always coming. There you go. It's perfect. We got you and Phil. We're good. We're covered. Oh, man. But uh, but back to you. So 18 years, you've got to have some fun stories, man. Let's let's dive into at least one of them. Sure. Um, so I, I debated about this one because, and I'm going to have to change some of the names to protect the innocent or not so innocent, I guess. <laughs> Um, yeah, Scott Farmer is going to call me up here. I listened to the <laughs> podcast with Ryan that you you should not have put out that information. <laughs> <laughs> we, we do not need that. Yeah, no, this is this is far enough away that I think it's all right. But it's oh, we'll, we'll definitely have to keep some some of the pieces. So, um, so one of my biggest, well, probably the most embedded that I've ever been was the John McCain campaign in two thousand eight. Um, wow. And we were on. I mean, Eric was running fundraising becky was running the e-campaign i'm sorry not fundraising advertising the mm -hmm. digital advertising which she did a very good job on there was um you know and it was kind of an interesting race to be a part of just because you had this sort of juggernaut digitally on the obama side you had us trying to keep up but doing some things i mean in some instances i would say like our search advertising was actually doing better than theirs but that was um we were kind of in a space where we were trying to do anything that would get us ahead, right? Because we were always, I think we always felt like we were behind, at least on the digital side. And I wasn't involved in any of the, you know, at the game change level, right? <laughs> like where all the other stuff was going on that has since come out. But, um, but one of the things that was, and this is sort of a two-parter, um, the first debate, what were you doing in 2008? Where were you? Uh, Romney. Romney. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah. The, so the first debate, <laughs> if you remember the first debate, the, um, 
I can't remember. I was trying to remember and I was going to look it up, but I forgot the, um, for some reason, John McCain had not even committed to the debate, right? Even morning of. So he hadn't, he hadn't like, he hadn't said he was going to debate. Obviously he was going to debate, but he hadn't said that publicly or he hadn't announced that he was going to do it or something. They were holding back for some reason. I can't remember if it was, I don't remember. I'll have to look that up. But so we wanted to kind of be able to be ahead of the game. And back then, right, you had to, for advertising, you had to take your um, ads and traffic them, right? You had to give them to the publishers, right, ahead of time. Yeah. Um, so they, um, sorry, my dog is barking at the door. Yeah, all right. Hopefully someone's grabbing her. Um, so you had to kind of do that ahead of time. So you had to plan like a lot of the stuff we had to plan ahead of time and it wasn't very quick, right? You couldn't move. It's not like today where you can sort of traffic ads quickly and get them up. Um, and so we had the idea to basically, cause obviously when there's a the debate happens, you always come out and claim victory, right? That's what everyone tells you to do. And so we thought, well, why don't we just run ads that say John McCain wins debate? Right. Just very simple. Have his picture, American flag, that type of thing. Have you heard this story? No. <laughs> it's a great story. I was so looking at while you were talking, I was looking up something on YouTube. I'll tell you in a second about it. Okay. Keep going. Oh, great. I'm sure this is. Yeah, there's stuff out here about this. So anyway. So John McCain. Um, so that morning, so we had to do that all ahead of time. So we get the ads ready. We give them to the publishers. One publisher in particular, I will not name names who this publisher was, but they they went to traffic the ad and the gal who trafficked it put it, it was supposed to go live at 10 p.m. Eastern. And she put it going 10 a.m. Eastern. Oh, no. And so at about 10 a.m., I'm sitting at my computer and actually, Tim, Tim Nuremberger, sends me an article from Wonkette, which was a part of Gawker at the time, which doesn't exist anymore. I remember it. You remember? <laughs> and oh, yeah. it's like, basically, it has our ad there. And at first, it was one of those, like, I was thinking about this yesterday. It was a, like, trauma response for me. Like, first of all, you're like, this is not happening. Like, I don't understand. Is this fake? Like, you, I was like what is this? Like, I was so confused and I was like, what is going on? And then you read the article and you realize it is real. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe this. I bet you were freaking out. Yeah. I don't think I've ever had an experience like that because as you know, like there's politics is always under a microscope, but like at the presidential level, it is like, everything right oh, like yeah. it's just like they are nitpicking at whatever they can get at so i send an email to the publisher and i'm like what the heck and then i go downstairs this was in our old office and <laughs> becky hadn't she didn't know anything about it and i had to break the news to her and oh, i was no. like yeah it was like so anyway we spent a day of sort of scrambling i remember it very specifically because keith olberman had a TV show and it led his, his like new show that was before the debate. <laughs> they talked about this stupid ad. And then that, um, that and, guy called me, uh, you know how he used to do his worst person in the world skit yeah, every yeah. night. I was yeah. worst person in the world once on Keith Oberman. <laughs> Were you? 
Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. I got that on the that back sounds- of my book, by the way. Worst person in the world, <laughs> Keith Oberman. <laughs> That's great. It's a great quote. Um, so anyway, so it was just like this whole cluster, right? Like, and it was, it was just terrible. And there was no like redeeming factors of it. It definitely taught me many lessons, but then, um, and you think it would have taught me a little bit more, but then, so then fast forward a week and this is where I come into it. So that was not my loss, I guess. Right. We're talking about winning and losing, you know, that was, we didn't really have control over that. It's just the publisher screwed up and yeah, it just happens. It just happens. Which you know was, what? Before you get into your part though. Yeah. Here's what's frustrating though. It's like, there's no grace for the mistakes. And as the digital vendor, no one does as much work. Like your polling guys, your TV guys, your mail guys, we're putting out hundreds of pieces of content a, a, a day. And if it's a presidential campaign these days, we're putting out just for that one client, hundreds of pieces of content. And there's so many opportunities to screw up on digital because right. of the sheer amount. So by just a statistical number, yes. your digital team's going to always screw up more than anybody else because <laughs> they've got more opportunities to screw up. Yeah. But but then you always get, well, our mail vendor doesn't screw up or our pulse or our TV guy doesn't screw up. Yeah, your TV guy puts up six pieces of content the entire campaign. We put up right. six pieces of content this morning before 8 a.m. Right. But yeah, there's never exactly. any grace for it. You know, spelling errors and um, you know, I always think it's funny, like when these articles come up about like stock photos. There was one yesterday about the RNC put up a right. wrong flag flags, for yeah. uh, I'm like, guys, you understand the just the sheer amount of opportunities to screw up. To screw up, yeah. Very high. Yeah, yes. I always just give people grace on those things. Yeah. No, I, I think that yeah, of course, right? Like and I, I agree. I think that your your point is absolutely true, right? Like so many opportunities to screw up and there's like even within pieces of content right like you send out an email there's like a ton of things you have to be looking at taking care of making sure that it's not this spacing all that junk that we everyone likes to sort of report on but yeah but anyway so so that um so that takes place a week later roughly a week later i can't remember it was the palin biden debate and so rather than so, so rather than doing um, what we did in terms of giving the publisher the ads ahead of time, we did something a little different. <clears throat> what we wanted to do was um, an advertisement of her and then whatever like the top quote of the night was right regarding um, Sarah Palin's performance. And so but in order to do that, we had to get it approved ahead of time. And so we mocked it all up, you know, with quote here and then famous person right? Like just a mock-up. So then we can drop it in and send it out. So we do that. that What's that? You told me that ad went out. Just quoted famous person. (laughs) Well, it did. (laughs) That's what happened. It just said famous person. So yeah. So we had to, so what we, (laughs) we had all the resizes. I like how you're laughing at this. (laughs) It was not, it was not cool at the time. Um, The, so we had all the resizes we get the quote and it was a Peggy Noonan quote about how she killed it. Something I can't remember. So I change all the art files except for one with Peggy Noonan. I have one where it's the quote and then it says famous person, right? That one <laughs> ran for 
728 impressions on the, the Washington Post, and it got picked up. Someone got oh, it. Of and course. It and so it was, I think, oh, who, it was the Wonkette again. And then, like, I think uh, Chris Cezilla posted about it or something. Oh, I'm but sure he th- did. It was, but it was interesting to me because I, I think, you know, kind of we go back to the lessons of this. One was obviously like the details matter, right? Like we have to be, and not that you're like, I'm not talking about like micromanaging stuff, but you have to be aware of what's, um, you know, about the details. You have to be in it, right? Like, and to, to be able to understand it and, and be able to, you know, look for, I mean, I've gotten very good at looking at details because of the amount of mistakes I have made, honestly, yeah. because I know where they happen, right? And so, um, so I think there was that. The other piece of it that I was thinking about was, you know, sometimes in this stuff, especially on the advertising side or the creative side, you have to just go for it, right? Like in this instance, it did not go well, but, you know, if it hadn't been, if they hadn't rushed that, you know, ad or, you know, put it to go up on the wrong time, right? It would have been, it would have gone off without a hitch and been pretty good, right? For us to get ahead of the time. Now, now it's kind of nice because we don't deal with that. Like I don't have to send or Eric doesn't have to send, you know, ads to a publisher, right? Like he can just do it. So, no, there's just a lot of room for error. And uh, that's the other thing, you know, we talked about the quantity, but also the speed at which we have to operate. Like things have to go out now where the TV guy, TV ads get, you know, they take weeks, polling takes a lot of time. You know, people are reviewing that stuff for us. It's like, get the tweet out the door. Get the Facebook right. post out the door. Get the email out the door. Get the text out the door. Right. All right. Well, yeah. We can do it. Yeah. Yeah, we can do it. <laughs> and uh, just forgive us whenever, it, you know, once every six months, there might be a screw up. Yeah. And I don't want it to sound like I'm accepting of screw up. We, we and especially now with chat GPT, we're able to like run things uh, through sure. AI to check for spelling and check for grammar. And we don't let anything go out the door without three, pe- you know, three sets of eyes looking at it. Uh, the client has to review anything that goes out, but inevitably just sheer numbers, things are going to screw up. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. You bring up the speed, right? Like for me, that has always been a bit of a gripe. I mean, obviously we have to move at speed, right? Like there's no really changing that, but from a creative perspective, it's very hard for us to get very, um, you know, sort of that two or three level deep of creativity where really sort of either innovative or very interesting things happen it's very difficult to get there in a political space on the digital side because of that speed because we have to just literally it's like we don't care about necessarily quality we just have to get it out out right out the door yeah out the door well brother it's been uh, awesome chatting with you thanks for everything you're doing for the company and holding it down in California yeah, for us. Uh, it's been great getting to know you and work with you. And here's to 18 more years. <laughs> there you go. Hopefully not 18, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Thank you All very right, cool. much. Thank you there.